for him to relate to himself. Having a relationship with God actually changes how we relate to one another as well. And that is what we are going to look at today as we come to this idea. We are looking at how his story can be related to other people through our stories. Why does and how does this incredible God who we worship choose to use us, mere man and mere woman, mere boy and mere girl, in order to show something of himself to the world that is around us? His story is massive. And the whole of history has been conveying his story to all people in all the world through that whole time. In different ways, yes. In different nations, yes. Here in Ipswich in 2012, yes. It is one story that is part of history. And it is one story that changes so much. And in order to help us look at it, and in order to help us to understand what it is that we can do to be part of that story, then we are going to look at one simple story from one not quite so simple man. This great story of Paul that we have read together, that Barbara read for us in Acts chapter 17. I wish that J.K. Rowling would write a book about the life of the Apostle Paul. She is not a Christian, but I think she would write this story better than most Christians do. I think she would bring out the drama of his life. I think she would make it exciting. I think everybody would want to go and see it. And I think that instead of people saying, oh, Paul, bit boring, Paul, nobody would come out of of the cinema if they saw it filmed. Nobody would read the book and say that. Paul's story isn't boring. Paul's story is full of all these things that you can see on the screen and lots more besides. When Paul was for something, he was 100% for it. When Paul was against something, he was 100% against it. So we see Paul as somebody who at first began to kill and persecute all the Christians. Then he becomes a Christian and he just can't say enough to defend the cause of Christianity. And he can't tell his story enough times. And he is always repeating the same story. And he makes it full of energy and full of life and full of vitality because it's a story that has changed him. It has changed everything about who he was, about his relationships, about what he thinks is important in life, and about what he wants to spend the rest of his life doing. 
Paul goes on to be stoned, to be beaten, to be put on trial, to be imprisoned. He loses friends. He gets thrown out of different cities. All kinds of things happen to him, and they happen to him because he is standing up for the one story that he believes in. And in this chapter uh, that we get to in Acts 17, we find out how he takes that story so seriously all of the time. How he is never prepared, if you like, to be off duty. How he is always prepared to speak for his Lord, who he has grown to love. So what does Paul do when he is in Athens? The first thing that we see him doing in this story is that he opens his eyes and he looks around him to see what is going on. In the context, Paul has just left his two really great friends behind. Timothy and Silas have stayed in Berea, and because of trouble that has been caused there, Paul gets sent off to go ahead of them, and he comes to Athens on his own. Now, I don't know what Athens was like at that time, but having been to Italy just recently... I might be able to imagine a little bit of what it might have looked like. Statues on every street corner. Fantastic architecture. Loads of people spilling out onto the streets, discussing together in that wonderful kind of Mediterranean way of warmth and enthusiasm. Rather than the cold and remote British way. Thank you very much. When Paul arrived in Athens, he had choices. He could have gone to the first century equivalent of Costas, and he could have sat and read the equivalent of the newspaper of the day and kept his eyes down and focused. Did he? No. The passage says that when he got to Athens, he went and he walked around the city, and he went to have a look at what it was that he could see. And what he saw impacted what he did. He saw the idols. He saw the temples. He saw the people debating and deliberating with one another. He saw their confusion and also, presumably, he saw something of their hopes and their dreams and of what they wanted in their life. They wanted religion. They wanted something that was outside of themselves. But they didn't necessarily know what it was that they were seeking. So there were altars all over the place. I get to walk around in Ipswich. I don't see many idols in one way. I don't see many altars. But there are lots of things that I do see. I wonder what some of the things are that you see 
when you walk around. The next slide just shows us a list of the possibilities. What do we see? As we relate to our communities, as we relate to our streets and our friends and our workplace, what do we see? Spend one moment talking to the person sitting next to you about what it is that you see the most. Thank you very much. I think that some of what we can see in our 21st century world is extremely positive. We can see people who want to belong to something that is bigger than themselves. We can see a quest to be part of a community. You only have to turn on your televisions briefly and see a little bit of the choir programme, for example, with Gareth Malone, to see how people want to belong. They want to take part in something that is bigger than they are individually. They want to belong to a community. We also only have to look momentarily to see how people want idols still. Not idols that are made of stone, not, not idols that they worship in a bowing down in front of them sort of way, but people continue to worship pop stars, people continue to want to seek celebrity, people continue to want to give their lives to something that is entirely vain and superfluous. That is not so good about the society that we live in. We see all kinds of strengths and weaknesses that are around us. And I suspect that all of those things are pretty similar to what Paul saw when he was looking to. These Epicureans who come out in that passage and the Stoics, they were two completely opposite strands of philosophy. Uh, one lot, they thought that life should be all about pleasure and that everything to do with your life was about pleasing yourself. 
The others, the Stoics, they kind of believed that really life wasn't about now. Life was all to be pain and hardship and gritting your teeth and getting on with it. And really, it didn't count so much about fate because nothing you could do would change anything anyway. And we can see both of those extremes still current in our environments as well. People who think that the only way to live is to have financial gain. People who will do anything in order to have status. People who will sell their souls in all kinds of ways if they can have a moment that for them is free from pain and is free from trial. We can see that around us. What did Paul do about it? The next slide goes on to what it was like for Paul in Athens. The next step in order for us to be part of God's story is the step of engagement that has to be taken in order to relate his story through our stories. Paul used his mouth. He used the words that Christ had put in his heart and he spoke them to anybody who would listen. He reasoned and he debated and he shared and he defended and he engaged and he argued and he did all kinds of things in order to have a hearing, in order to get people to listen to what he said because he knew that he had a story that was worth sharing. Through all of his conversations, some of them were really evangelistic in their dialogue and some of those is what we have got recorded. But I am sure there were far more. Paul wasn't a one-dimensional character. I am sure that he engaged with people in terms of where their lives were at. And it's something that we need to do. Tom is going to come and share something of his story in terms of engagement with other people right now. Okay, so I'll start with a Bible passage um, from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So how this passage has helped me is it's kind of inspired me to think that whenever people ask me questions about my faith in especially a school setting, I never try and brush it off or ignore them just because maybe the question's a bit difficult. But you always should try and answer. And yes, maybe sometimes you might not know 
and you need to sort of be be happy to say you don't know the answer to a question and not just sort of try and blabber a bit and make something up which could damage more than it helps and one of the main settings in school which I have an opportunity to talk about my faith is in RE lessons um, so we have a lot of discussions about different issues and I go to St Albans so it's a Catholic school um, so they say a lot about what Catholics think um, and I always get an opportunity to talk about what I believe and also what the Bible says and some of the issues that we've talked about recently who gets into heaven how can a loving God allow suffering alcohol and divorce and in, in group discussion and in one on one discussions I've found it's always very important and very helpful to ask yourself why the person is asking the question. Don't just enter in thinking every situation is the same because they're not and they, they are, can be very big, big differences. For instance, someone asking about divorce, their parents may be divorced or they may be going through a divorce. Someone asking about how can a loving God allow suffering. Uh, a close relative may be suffering from a disease or an illness. So always ask, I always ask myself why they are asking the question. And that helps in terms of you have to, you have to be very, uh, very careful of how you answer and you have to always try and answer kind and lovingly. And each issue requires sensitivity. Sensitivity is very important because if you offend the person, it may drive them away from God, whether your intention was to bring them closer. And sometimes I have offended people, um, and I've got it quite badly wrong. Um, there was one example when we were talking about uh, heaven in an RE class, and I said something which made someone walk out of the classroom crying. That made me feel quite bad about what I'd done. Um, but afterwards, I went to apologise to the person, and I explained exactly what I'd said and what I'd meant by it. And afterwards, they, they seemed to accept that, and that I had made an honest mistake, and they were still willing to talk to me about it, showing that because I'd apologised and because I'd really explained what I meant, no damage was done. And as, as I said, you can't be afraid to say you don't know. But something I try and do is whenever I do not know the answer to a question, I go home and ask mum and dad how, how I could answer that or what there is in the Bible that might back that up. And... I also always try and use the Bible in discussions and stuff in school. And just another verse um, from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This kind of just demonstrates that the Bible is very useful in discussion um, and you can use it when talking about a variety of issues and it really is sort of what you need to refer to because just discussing on your own beliefs is you have something to fall back on but it is more difficult to argue with just yourself but if you go to the bible as sort of where you get your beliefs from people seem to find it a lot more sort of this. you have evidence to back that up it's not just you speaking from your own experience but to be able to use the bible in discussion in that sense you need to read it for yourself and you need to have a good understanding of what it is you're talking about. So Bible study, personal Bible study, is very important in just to be able to talk about your faith um, and also for your personal gain. It's very useful.
right, thanks Tom, that was really good. It's just really good, I think, for us to all think a little bit about, so how do we engage or how can we engage with those who are around us? So Tom's situation is quite specific in that he is still in school, in that he does have opportunities in those RE lessons or that he does have opportunities with the friends that he makes as a result of that. I think it's really hard to stand here and say actually, I get it wrong. Actually, it does hurt people when I say things in the wrong way. And it hurts people when I'm expressing truth, but actually that truth really isn't what that person wants to hear at the time. And Dave and I have been able to walk with Tom on those days when his friends aren't talking to him anymore, as well as on the days when they are. And that is one of the joys of parenthood. Simon was speaking so much last week about what it is to be a parent and what it is to train, train your children so that they become dependent on God in all that they do. And I truly believe that that is what all of us who who are parents or who aspire to be parents in the future will want. So, Tom, thank you for what you shared with us just then. What about its implications for us? How do we say what we say? We really need to think about the rules of engagement that we are going to use when we are seeking to share God's story through our stories. As Tom mentioned, people aren't always ready to hear what you have to say. And I am sure that we have all encountered that in our lives already. People don't always want us to say that we have an answer. People don't always want us to say that our lives are good. And in all honesty, our lives aren't always good. And we don't always have an answer. Even when we are Christians, even when we read the Bible, even when We consciously pray for God's presence each day. So, I think how we say what we say has a lot to do with our integrity as people. If we are people with friends, then we are happy to share our lives with our friends. And sharing our lives with our friends means sharing the good days and the bad days. It means sharing the ups and the downs. It means walking with them through their circumstances of life and allowing them to walk with us through our circumstances of life. It's so much about being real. 
And it's so much about asking others to help us as well. So we don't go into it simply feeling that we are alone. So that we do come up with reasons for what we believe that are genuine. And it's something that as our missional communities in this church are experiencing together, there is a strength in talking together and sharing our stories together, as well as sharing them individually, and as well as being involved in other people's lives, just as an individual. Back to Paul in Athens. It's not just enough to engage. What we engage with has to be relevant to the people who we are talking to. Paul begins where the people are at. He has gone off on this walk and he has seen an, a, an altar to an unknown God. And when he is invited to discuss with the council and the, Areop- the Areopagus, that is where he starts. Not with, well, you'll never believe what happened to me when I was on my way to Damascus a couple of years ago. He starts with, today, I have seen this. Today, in your city, this is what has impressed me. Not many of my friends want to know what I was like when I was 10 and when I became a Christian. That's not really very interesting. But people do want to know what difference has being a Christian made for you this week. This week, while I was at Colchester University, I have had a few conversations which I think will help to simply illustrate what makes us relevant to other people. On Monday, I had a conversation with the brand new, extraordinarily bright Vice-Chancellor of the University of Essex. There are certain situations in which I can feel extraordinarily intimidated, and this would be one of them. Sitting with a cup of tea, talking to the Vice-Chancellor of the University, knowing that this man has the power to tell me I am not welcome in the chaplaincy anymore. He has the power within the context of the university to close down what Friends International does. Very important man. The Vice-Chancellor is very proud that Essex is a secular university based on Marxist principles. And I was discussing with him whether or not there is a place for faith alongside secularism. We had a very good conversation. He is not in the least bit interested in my personal faith, but he is interested in the concept of faith. 
does a university that offers an opportunity to share faith give more to students than a university that shuts the door on faith? In other words, will it pay? Is it important that there is a chaplaincy here where faith can be talked of? Because if you can prove it is important and if it will encourage students to come and ask questions, then it could pay the university to have it. That was the level of relevance of me being part of the chaplaincy and talking about faith. On the other hand, I also had a conversation with Paul, whose father is dying of cancer. Up until this point in his life, he's been an atheist. Why would anybody bother to believe in God? But now he has really real questions. What is going to happen to my dad when he dies? What is going to happen to me? Is this really all that there is? Is this life that is so short the best that we can expect? He has got a million and three questions and I would love you to pray for me as I get to talk to him some more over those next few weeks. The thing is, in terms of us being relevant and us being engaging, people can dispute our arguments until the cows come home. They can argue with us that black is white and it goes to prove no point whatsoever. But when we are talking from our experience of what God does in our lives, then it is not possible to dispute it in the same way. People can disagree, and that is absolutely fine. But we can also disagree with them. You might think this is the best way to live, but I have something else that I live for. You might think that that is the truth, but I have a book that tells me what truth is, and so I see it like this. Your experience is what counts. So, do we use our story to share God's story? The next slide talks about some of the ways in which we can do that. Do we talk about the events that happen in our lives? Do we talk about our thought processes and how we decide what we are going to do and why we make those decisions? Do we comment on articles from the news from a Christian point of view? Do we celebrate our wins and say how great it was to worship God on Sunday? Or how awful it was last week because we really weren't in the mood. But yes, we are still going next week anyway because it matters to us that we do. Do we share what Jesus means to us? Can we put into words what Jesus means for us? Can we tell our stories in such a way that we illustrate the reality of our relationship with God as we do it? If you do, 
then I can guarantee that it will be exciting. The next slide simply says, it gives others the option to be part of his story too. Sharing his story through our story gives others the option to be part of his story too. Do you have the right to make the choice for somebody else that Christianity is not relevant to them? Because if you stay silent, that is what you are doing. If you do not share his story through your story, then you are stopping them having the choice. That is a big responsibility. And it's not one that I want. And I hope you don't want it either. So let's think really positively about how we can respond to all of this. What can we do for ourselves and in ourselves to help us to share that story? We're going to sing a quieter and slightly more reflective song that will help us to just take the time to think about how we can live for God in this. Sally is going to play it through once, and as she plays it through the first time, I'd like us all to simply very quietly think about, is there one person this week who I should seek to share my story with particularly? Is there one situation that I could share that is relevant for my work colleagues? Is there one thing that I could ask somebody to pray with me about today so that I would have the strength to do something differently about that this week? Let's think about those things as Sally just plays through and then we will all stand and sing together.